go with me to Daniel 6. You know, um, Cliff and I watched the same game from a different perspective yesterday. Um, uh, uh, he bleeds orange and, you know, my blood's a little red. But, but um, uh, you see a guy, you see a person like some of these fellows that were playing yesterday or uh, a football player, and, and you recognize that the best players get their college paid for, you know, they, they, they go in, uh, and become professional. Isn't that interesting? I think one of the, one of the I'm going to make somebody mad in here, but that's, that's okay. Um, uh, I, I think one of, the, one of the interesting oxymorons in, in American culture is the professional fisherman. I, I don't really get that, but it's just kind of an oxymoron. Yeah. Uh, but if we pay people lots and lots of money to do these things they're really, really good at, and, um, uh, and they're highly esteemed. Now, in recent years, you've heard me talk about a lot of this, but in recent years, I've, I've read several books by Eric McTaxis, who is just an incredible writer and, uh, and historian and thinker. And uh, when I read uh, his books on Bonhoeffer or uh, Luther, or he's written, uh, written some others that have several biographies in them, I, I realized that there were people in those books that distinguished themselves in their day. And yet, their outcome was quite different. They weren't paid extra money because they were smart or talented or whatever. They were, in fact, in Bonhoeffer's case, martyred. Uh, we're going to meet our hero today, and uh, we, we've been talking about him for the last three or four Sundays, but uh, this man, Daniel, distinguishes himself and then I've got to ask the question, to what end? Um... I, in, in our story for today, the, the reward that he received really um, for such distinguished service and wisdom was not what you would want. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, at, at least initially, let, let's talk about the kingdom uh, that we're dealing with here. Um, as, as the book of Daniel dawns, the Babylonians have taken um, the Jewish people captive in Babylon and by the time we get to chapter 6, we've been through King Nebuchadnezzar and King uh, Belshazzar. And, and now we, uh, we meet King Darius. I wonder if Darius Rucker was named after King Darius. Anybody know who Darius Rucker is? <laughs> who is he, Darla? Uh, well, is it, that's Hootie. Hootie and the Blowfish. But you know, do you know now he's a country singer? And he's a good one. Going by Darius Rucker. Oh, you, you know, he's not, it's not Hootie Rucker. It, okay. But I remember Hootie and the Blowfish and liked them, and now I like him as a country singer. And I wonder if he was named after Darius the first. I don't know. That may be, you know. He may be Persian somewhere down the road. Uh, but so you've got the, the Medes and the Persians in control under this King Darius, and we're going to kind of read a lot about him today. Um, um, and all this was predicted, if you remember, by Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The, the, um, the Babylonians are conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Uh, 
you could argue the Iranians, and uh, the median leader then that we're going to encounter um, is this, uh, this person, Darius. Now, look at, if you, since you're going to chapter 6, look at, I'm going to read the last two verses of 5. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. That's the son of Nebuchadnezzar. So Darius the Mede, Hootie the Blowfish, yeah, okay, whatever. Darius the Mede received the kingdom about the age of 62. Right? There's kind of where that transfer of power is taking place. I'm doing some study on that. I'll, I'll hopefully bring even more clarity to it. But for, for today's discussion, there is a Persian or a Median uh, person uh, by the name of Darius who is in power. And he actually likes Daniel. It's very interesting. All these kings kind of like Daniel, despite their, uh, uh, their um, eventual treatment of him. Now, um, let's read. I'm, I'm, I want us to, to kind of get to it here. Uh, so let's read the first nine. Steve, you, have you got nine verses in you? Okay, get after it. A lot of activity there. Let's take it apart if we can. Now, here's the setup, all right? Um, uh, first order of business for Darius as he comes into power is uh, he's going to appoint administrators over the, over the kingdom and over their vast holdings, okay? And he appoints 120 of them. Um, I think I get that number right. He's going to appoint 120 of them. And over those, he's going he's to place three administrators, uh, in, in one uh, bit of study I did, they called them presidents. They're over, over different areas. So you could call them administrators. You could call them prime ministers, um, something of, the, of that sort. Uh, it's, and it's interesting that Daniel himself was, ends up being the chief of these three to whom 120 report, and he reports directly to the king with uh, his, his other counterparts in the administration. Now, uh, why was Daniel to be the chief of these administrators? The Bible tells us a little bit. What does it say? He was distinguished. He distinguished himself. In other words, and I, and I like that word, Joanna, because he set himself apart from his peers in what way? He wasn't corrupt. By the way, we're going to see that they were. Okay? He was not corrupt. Very trustworthy. Now, notice the word that is used to describe it. I'll let you put it in your first blank here. It was his spirit that distinguished him. Did, did I catch that right? Maybe in verse 3? You see that? Um, uh, he had an extraordinary spirit. So I began to think about this, and um, his, um, he had exceptional job performance, but he also had, you got to catch this for a second, and I'm going to use the word appropriately. He had superhuman wisdom. Superhuman wisdom. And... Um, superhuman knowledge. 
Those are two different things. Anybody want to take a stab at it? What's the difference in knowledge and wisdom? Karen? Is whether or not you know what to do with it. Yeah. Okay. So in, in, in the case of both of these things, his ability, his brain power was superhuman, as was his skill with people, with administration, with even with uh, leading north with the king. He was just unusual. He set himself apart, and it distinguished him ahead of his peers. Now, as we read the story, though, the whole, uh, you know, the whole Daniel becoming lion chow thing here becomes, it, it, it's really the result of what's going to happen in verse 4. Because his, uh, those on the same line of the org chart as him, somewhat at least, um, observed how well he did everything and how uh, he was distinguished for it. What was their reaction? Jealousy. Yeah, jealousy. His peers quickly became jealous of his success. Now, you got Here's what adds to this issue: his enemies, his political enemies here, who were going to kind of pull this thing off, were race conscious. You got to think about that for a minute. They were either Medes or Persians. Okay, so they were indigenous peoples. He was not. What was he? He was Jewish. What you've got to, you and I have to understand here is that Daniel was a Jew, a captive Jew, and because of who they were and because of just kind of the culture of the day, Jewish people were considered an inferior race. Now that, that idea is going to repeat itself in the 1930s, isn't it? In, in, in our world almost. So, they were considered a, 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 an inferior race. Um, and so, for, for the other two or three of these fellows to be overlooked was just not right. They're going to think, but he's Jewish. They're going to think it's scandalous. And so, their thoughts as they hear the king getting more and more interested in Daniel and placing him more and more in, in a position where he can lead is him. Got it? Got it? So the background on what they're going to do has, has prejudice written all over. Okay, now, you'll look at verse 5. They hired, they appointed the uh, Persian FBI to follow Daniel. Okay? They got guys tailing him everywhere he's going. We're going to find some dirt on Daniel for sure. Right? You can put the word dirt in the next blank. Okay? Surely we'll find, oh, sorry, real. Sorry, real. There was no real dirt. Yeah, well, okay. Sorry, dirt's already there, right? His management, his management ability and style was impeccable. His character was unimpeachable. Unless, 
we can find something that has to do with how he worships his God. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting if, you, if, if, um, if the government had you followed and all they could find wrong with you is that you were just way too holy, way too good. <laughs> you hate it when that happened? Yeah. I, 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 I was thinking of you when I asked that question, Ellie. Wouldn't it be interesting? Uh, you know, he, he, you know he, he keeps his teeth brushed and his breath smells okay. And, um, you know, he leads really, really well. He doesn't mismanage anything of the, of the king's funds or the king's kingdom. He always makes the right decision. The only thing we can come up with, he's just too godly. He's got this God that that he is so committed to. So if we want to do anything, we're going to have to deal with it there. They couldn't find any real dirt on him. So they, in verse 6 down through 9, they come up with a plan. They plot this kind of a plan to, um, to deal with the Daniel problem. Okay, And in so doing, they've got, to, they've got to kind of ingratiate themselves to the king. How do they do that? Look at verse 6 and 7 down there. They flattered him. Oh, king, live forever. They come in. Uh, you are looking particularly nice today. You know. Did you just have the, did you just send the crown out to be polished? I don't know. You're looking really regal today. Uh, you catch that? Is there? Thank you, boys. Um, uh, so Darius buoyed by uh, their ingratiation begins to think, you know, I really am something, aren't I? I wonder in verse 6 and 7 and down through there if that's part of what's going on. He, he listens. He's read his own press clippings. He's certainly got uh, two or three of his prime ministers before him and they're talking about he is, you know, he is the big daddy rabbit. He is uh, he's the best there's ever been. And he begins to say, you know, these guys are uh, really smart, aren't they? And while they've got him right where they want him, they have hatched a plan. And, but in their plan, they lie. Did you catch what they lie about? I think it's in verse 7. How'd they lie? Let's go back and look at it just a second here. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king could, should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days should be cast in the lion's den. What's the problem with that statement? Daniel wasn't part, you know he wasn't part of that consensus. It's just a lie. Now, what I begin to think about is how full of himself at this point is Darius that he doesn't say, where's my man Daniel? But he doesn't. He just figures, okay, this is good. I, I think that's the only conclusion we can reach. And he's sorry for it later. 
which is kind of wonderful. But at this point, it's, kind of, it's going to be too late pretty quick. So he's full of himself. He's been told by uh, his, a couple of his prime ministers that he is the best thing that's ever happened. And he believes it. And they got him right where they want him. And so they present to him a plan that is a 30-day plan. It's interesting, but that's all they'll need. All right? And they say, if anybody invokes, praises, thanks, or prays to anybody but you in the next 30 days, they need to go to the lion's den. Now, I began to think about why did Darius or how did Darius miss this? And I wonder if verse 3 gives us a little bit of detail. Uh, he has been given, look at, look at verse 3. Then Daniel began, that's interesting, then this Daniel began distinguishing himself because among, uh, among the commissioners and satraps, because he possessed extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. I wonder if in the context of all that, the king just really wanted to be prayed to. He wanted to be the kingdom's big shot of all big shots. So it makes some sense. And he never thought about a person that he actually, in, in context later I think we're going to see, that he loves and is, is impressed with and needs. Darius needs Daniel. But he has this lack of, momentary lack of judgment goes with the plan that Jim, they all didn't agree to. In fact, the prime minister of the prime ministers wasn't even in on it, we know. He agrees to it. And so here we go. Uh, Cindy, can I get you to go to verse 10 and read down through 17? Okay, let's stop right there for a second, Cindy. I'm going to have you come back right there. Okay, now, that's interesting to me. Daniel hears about the edict of the king. And what does he do? <laughs> Did what he always does. Uh, the, the word that you can put in your... Uh, oh, by the way, I don't think I filled in your last blank, did I? The king's agreement to sign the edict was based on consensus of his officials, even though there really wasn't a consensus. Okay, so Daniel's life then, we know, was because we've looked at him for six chapters here, was governed by um, established practices, including three times a day. He threw his windows open. He looked toward Jerusalem, which is where they believed from Solomon's temple, God reigned. And he prayed three times a day. So he hears the edict and knows he's in trouble if he does what he normally does. So what does he do? He does what he normally does. Now you got to go with me. Uh, keep your finger there and go over to um, Mark 1. There's somebody else that had some established practices that were pretty important. 
His name is Jesus. Uh, go to Mark 1, and we're going to start in verse 35. I want you to see, this is a very interesting story to me. It's early on in the Gospels. Um, early on as Jesus is choosing his disciples, they're beginning to follow him and be taught by him and be, have life modeled to them by him. And so verse 35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went away to a secluded place and was praying there. This was a pattern. We don't know it yet, if you're reading the Gospel of Mark, but you'll see it later. He went away by himself, secluded place, and prayed early in the morning. That was his pattern. Simon's pattern was, uh, I'm sorry, Daniel's pattern was, three times a day through the windows open toward Jerusalem and prayed. Now, continue to look just for a second. Simon, verse 36, that's Peter, and his companions searched for him. Where'd he go? And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. There will come a time when the disciples no longer do that. There will come a time when they say, where is he? Someone says, where is he? And they say, you know where he is. You got, you've been around him, you know where he is. His pattern is, what? Early in the morning, to spend time with God. What was Daniel's pattern? Three times a day to spend time with God. So when the edict came down and Daniel thought, whoa, I'm going to become lion fodder. He said, well, I'm going to do what I always do. I, what courage this took. His life was governed by established practices. Now, I've got to ask you, are there any established practices in your life that kind of mirror this? Because if there, there aren't, I'm going to encourage you to establish them. He, his life was governed not by what the king said, but by established practices. Now, in verse 11 and 12, the, uh, uh, the officials... Other officials, we could say, in, in Darius's government, come to look for him. And you're not going to find Daniel hiding doing his thing. He's going to do it just like he's done it every day previously. Um, he was unafraid of detection. Now, notice here, um, I, I think there's a, an interesting verse, an uh, interesting word in verse 11. Then these men came by agreement. Catch that? They came by agreement. And then by verse 12, they're not going to sit on this information very long. By verse 12, what are they doing? They're tattling. Uh, in my notes, I put the word, uh, they're going to rat him out to the king. Okay? They come. I think it's very interesting. They don't have to kick the door down. They walk in, Daniel's doing what he always does, and they immediately go to the king. He was unafraid of detection. And in verse 13 and 14, then when they're telling this story to uh, the king, it's got some spin to it, doesn't it? Here's the spin. Here's the spin. Daniel, your boy, that's got to be in there somewhere. That's in the Hebrews somewhere. Your boy Daniel, okay, is disobedient to the king. 
Now notice here, as they spin this, that what they're going to say is, they're going to call his prayers disobedience to the king rather than obedience to God. They're not going to mention that. That his obedience, uh, that, that he has done all of his adult life, his obedience is twisted by his political enemies. Look at verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. He didn't close his windows. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God, as he had been doing previously. So, for Daniel, like his three friends, no compromise. Not going to compromise this deal. Well, maybe I can... Uh, maybe I can go take a little trip in the country and pray three times a day. No. He's going to do exactly what he's been doing. No compromise. His prayers are called disobedience by his political rivals, disobedience to the king rather than obedience to God. And so as you read 15, 16, and 17, so Cindy, finish reading that section, will you? I think you stopped at about 16. Interesting here. Um, the king resigns himself to comply with his own irrevocable decree. He, Darius, himself had made it irrevocable. The edict was death by lions. Interesting. The Romans would pick up on that in succeeding uh, centuries, wouldn't they? And they'd do it differently. But... Um, it's interesting here. Uh, I get the sense as I read this that um, that the king was um, he resigned to it. He didn't want to do it. If you look at verse sixteen, you don't, you get the sense he didn't want to do it, but he resigned to it. And you can argue that when he finds out all about this. Um, if you look at verse 14 again, that when he hears about all this, he's deeply distressed. He's concerned about it um, because, uh, and, and to me, that's kind of an unexpected response from a king. He he's unexpectedly says, oh man, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Okay, we're going to read the rest of the story, then I'm going to comment on it some. John, do you mind to go to verse 18 and read down through 24? Wow, did you forget that part? It, it got kind of serious here after. Okay, now let's go back for a minute. The king sets his uh, seal on, on the uh, lion's den, puts Daniel in there, sets his seal on it, uses his signet ring to to mark it here, and he goes back and he tries to go to sleep and can't. His state of mind is what? He's troubled. 
He's anxious. He, um, uh, he does one of those deals that I do about 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes. Gets up and takes a couple of Tums. Goes back to bed, still can't sleep. He calls for the musician. Okay, have somebody play for me. He can't be, his mind is racing. He can't be distracted by music. So, before breakfast, okay, kings get good breakfast. He didn't eat any supper. Remember that deal? Before breakfast, he hot-foots it to the lion's den, gets really close so he can hear. And he calls out for Daniel. Now, um, it, it's very, very interesting here what happens here. Uh, in verse 21 and 22, as Daniel responds, the Lord's deliverance proves Daniel innocent. But, but we've got to take it apart just a little bit. Look at verse 21 that John just read here. Daniel spoke, he calls and says, Daniel, you down there. Now, um, uh, notice what he, how he calls Daniel, servant of the living God. What is on trial here, I believe, is whether or not Daniel's God is the living God. The living God. Look at, um, look at 325. Turn back just a couple of pages. said, look, this was, uh, this was a similar scene when his three friends were in the fiery furnace. Look, I see four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, we took that apart a couple of weeks ago, and we wonder if that was small s, son of the gods, large g, if that was probably an angel. We said that, that, uh, that both Gabriel and Michael are introduced for the first time in all of Scripture in the book of Daniel. So what, what it seems to be, and the king is going to indicate here in his later uh, conversation with Daniel, is that there is something going on here, and the king attributes it to the Lord's angel. You notice as he kind of says, um, uh, but he says here, Make, in verse 22, may God send his angel. And so, this test of deity here is whether or not God is alive. And, and he says, so Daniel, you serve the living God. Are you still down there? And Daniel says, yep. That's in the Hebrew, by the way. And the indication is that there has been a holy nine-foot lion whisperer in there with him. Maybe by the name of Gabriel. Can you imagine every time one of the lions yawned or every time one of the lions began to kind of purr pretty loud that Gabriel said, shut your mouth. I'm listening to Gabriel. How about you? And so, he proved, the Lord in his deliverance proves him innocent. Now, it's interesting here. Daniel becomes a hero. Uh, the king seems so relieved that Daniel wasn't, uh, wasn't 
um, overcome by the lions, destroyed by the lions, and his position is now secure. Now stick with me here for just a minute. Look at verse 26, and I want to go to verse 28. In verse 26, he says, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Uh, uh, later on, if, if I put the reference to uh, Hebrews 11.33, where, where Daniel is not mentioned by name, but, uh, but um, uh, relief from lions is mentioned. So we think he's implied there. He becomes a hero even in the New Testament. And the idea here is that um, I think at least he is given the ring, verse 28. If you kind of look at how Daniel, it's not said here, but I wonder if he's given the signet ring that seal, was supposed to seal his fate a few minutes before, because he becomes the prime minister of the lamb of the land. Now look at verse seventeen. It just what makes me think this as I was reading this earlier. Uh, a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed regarding Daniel. There was one signet ring missing, Jim. There was a signet ring missing. And it makes me wonder if the king said, oh, by the way, these guys aren't going to need their rings. I'm just going to give you mine. And he becomes the prime minister over the land. Now, his position was now secure. So, here's my question. We'll, we'll end. How patterned are you? What are your holy patterns? You got some? What was Daniel's holy pattern? Three times a day he prayed. He thanked God. He looked toward Jerusalem. I, if you're not accustomed to this, then how about just breakfast, lunch, and dinner? If you drink Dr. Pepper, how about 10, 2, and 4? <laughs> Stopping for a minute, for 5, for 15 saying, thanks, God. Even though I've been an honest Jew yet today, I know you've been with me and you're going to continue to be with me. Thank you. Lead me. Lead my decisions. What are your holy patterns? Here's my question. If you were being followed by the FBI, what would they report? If you were being followed by the FBI, would they, what would they say? <laughs> he has a big gulp three times a day. You know, would they, I don't know. Maybe that's your deal. What are your patterns? What are your holy patterns? Try stopping three times a day. And instead of looking toward Jerusalem, you can do that if you want to, my recommendation would be to look up and pray. Thank him, give him honor, and give him a piece of yourself. That may be the antidote for becoming lion chow in the eventuality of it all.